ready to achieve great heights, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Power Your Performance, the podcast where we dive deep with leaders in the gaming world and beyond and learn the techniques they use to power their lives. I am your host, Gary Kleinman. Well, welcome, Dr. Kleiner, to Power Your Performance. Uh, I'll put my reading glasses on because the the one thing that Powering Performance hasn't done is fix my vision. So uh, well, we're going to read this so everyone knows how lucky we are to have you here. Uh, you're the owner of High Performance Nutrition, which we will get into, which is a consulting firm in Mercer Island, Washington. For those that don't know, that's right out of gorgeous Seattle. And you are an internationally recognized expert on nutrition and peak performance, something we all need, and a consultant, an educator, and a coach, and the co-founder of the International Society of Sports Nutrition, and the author of all these eight books. We're not going to ask you to read them to us, but that would be a good bedtime reading. Hello there. Now I can take my glasses off and actually see you um, yeah nice to see you gary it's good to see you as well so talk to me how does somebody wake up one day and say i'm getting into performance well my road trip was different than than you know people today i was a pre-title nine girl and if people are not sure what that is they can look it up <laughs> but the big thing is that it was prior to girls being able to participate in sports in in any you know sort of uh school oriented sports collegiate sports etc and title nine was a law that passed that said if you received any kind of federal funding you had to give equal opportunity to girls to participate in sports and so and amongst other things but so my experience of wanting to be an active girl in growing up in cleveland ohio was to be able to go into modern dance which had nothing to do with school sports right and so i was a dancer that was my sport i trained in new york in, while I was in high school, but then decided that I, I wanted to go to college. And I, I was interested in biology. I became very interested in health. By then I could participate in, in school sports, collegiate sports and tennis seemed to be my favorite and running. And so now I was exercising and I was interested in nutrition and reading everything that I could read at that time. And this is like, it feels like a hundred years ago. That was Adele Davis, certainly Rachel Carson, uh, which who has become uh, very apropos to today and climate change and farming and, and, and organic um, culturing of the soil and that sort of thing. Were so, you raised in a household where nutrition was discussed? on this yes. level or is it yes so that i yeah. mean that's the stimulus for you having you know part of your 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 childhood was eating healthy and well and, and sort of through through no fault of our own our my father my father's business and just you know relative today my father was born at the turn of the 20th century right outside lvov ukraine but uh, aside from that he came here he he had a master's degree in engineering, but ended up excited to own his own business, which was an open air market and garden center. Oh, and, really? Fascinating. And, and so we didn't have much money, 
we ate what we sold, which was fruits and vegetables. <laughs> that's that's funny. That is funny. Yeah. So I mean, that's a true um, American story, right? It's a it's a very American story, and it and it led me to understanding why none of my friends in college had ever eaten vegetables because once I got to college, I had my first taste of canned vegetables, wow. which were you know, awful. And now I understood why people didn't eat them. And so, you know, I started, I think, without knowing, without an awareness of focusing on on food and always how food made me feel. That was that was always sort of part of the household conversation. And I got to participate in one of the very first organic farms. Uh, It happened to be next door to my little tiny small liberal arts college in Ohio, Hiram College. And uh, and so I was interested in health. In the 1970s, if you were interested in health, your option in your own mind was, well, I have to become a physician. Right. There wasn't prevention. That word didn't really exist. Um, it only had started to become a magazine <laughs> around that time. And so, there really wasn't a whole lot of nutritionists as a career at the time, no, was there? No, you could be a dietitian in the basement of a hospital. No. Period. Okay. Wow. Or there were nutrition departments academically doing research, but I didn't know about that. I didn't know it was a whole field of science at all. And, you know, I took I took animal nutrition to keep lab rats alive <laughs> as a biology major, but not human nutrition. And so so I applied to medical school and I was I've in my career, I have had incredible fortune with listening to really succinct advice that was that changed my direction over time many times this time it was uh, applying to medical school at case western reserve university and the dean of admissions uh, said to me susan we'd love to have you in medical school you're going to learn nothing about what you're interested in you're interested in health we teach people how to treat disease go talk to the Department of Nutrition. And I was like, oh my God, there's a whole Department of Nutrition? I thought it was just a hobby. And so off I went, changed my trajectory. I got to that department. They said, well, there is no such thing as nutrition and exercise. Now remember, this this is 1979, right? right? I said, well, yeah, actually, I know they're doing something at Columbia and something at at, at Berkeley, uh, maybe at Stanford and Berkeley, but I have to live at home in my parents' house when I go to grad school or I can't afford to go. Right. So they said, well, we'll let you create your own program. And so I got the fundamentals. I got a master's degree in nutrition. I went into the hospital, became a registered dietitian, got out as fast as I could and went back uh, to do a PhD in nutrition and exercise, which as I said, wasn't a field. Interesting. Uh, but was it a hard decision not to go to med school or was your passion so great that when you realized that there was a path, that that was the path you should be on? Yeah, I kind of felt like I was uh, I knew medical students already. I knew the experiences women were having in medical school at that time. Women were still, you know, a minority, a, minority, a vast minority. And I felt like I was going to belt somebody and get thrown out of medical school. If anyone talked to me or treated me that way, I was much better off to head toward grad school. And 
And I really wanted to do research. And my what I thought I understood was that if I got an MD, it would be easier to get research funding, which right. in fact was true. Um, yeah, still we think be so. True. That would make sense. Yeah, but but I, I I really felt much more centered in in the opportunity to go to grad school to pursue research. To, to study an area that everyone told me I was crazy, that I would never get a job, there would be nothing for me. And for some reason, I didn't know any better to go, oh, maybe that's important to think about. I just said, I know this matters. I know this because I know sort of the health of my family compared to everybody around me. And and I I believe this matters and I want to study health. And, and that was... And was the curriculum then relatively crude? I mean, since it didn't exist, per se? So so the, the curriculum on um, clinical nutrition and dietetics, the science of nutritional methodology, of studying diet, that was very well baked in and, okay. and very high quality. There was nothing relative to exercise and human performance out of nutrition departments. So um, sort of the history at the time and, and what they said to me was just whenever you get an assignment, focus it on exercise. You know, okay. you you can do that. And so if you're studying vitamins, focus it on exercise and what there's. Well, so what I discovered was that there was hardly anything unless you went back to the 1940s, which was the research done by Ansel Keys in, at the University of Minnesota Hygiene Labs, very famous research on starving conscientious objectors during World War II, to, to, right, to, to come up with what were the nutritional requirements of healthy, active young men to then develop K-rations, which became the food for, for right. the troops, right? And so, so we had really, really good science in the 1940s. And then it kind of moved into departments of exercise science and physiology. And they didn't understand that there was a science to collecting dietary data. And so we had several decades of really lousy nutrition research. Okay. You can't just ask people, what are you eating? at face value and, and, and record that as good data. And so then sort of starting in my generation was take the nutritionists, the people with nutrition science backgrounds entering this field of study with good grounding in scientific methodology. And, and then there became a blending between the exercise physiologists and the nutrition scientists. So we had good data and good good exercise science and good nutrition science. And the exercise that, that piqued your interest, was it just all about movement or specific exercise, categorically I, like running, wrestling, uh, jumping, shooting? You know, basketballs, by the way. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 we won't go. That's a different podcast. But was there, you know, um, something that triggered your, like, like I said, piqued your interest more about specific kind of exercise and movement or just the general category? I was really interested in muscle. Oh, I had this sense that, and again, it's weird to talk about now as an outlier, but I had this sense that that there was something about 
muscle tissue that affected our health. And, and it was really, it's really hard to study healthy people who are doing kind of average amounts of exercise and get data that is significant, that shows significant change. When you study sick people, you can see significant change. What, you know, it's the statistics that matter. And so you can get a big enough delta, a big enough change where it's measurable and it's statistical, statistically significant to then make a recommendation. But when you're studying healthy people, to see a large enough change, you either have to study hundreds of thousands of people or it, it becomes very, di- or you have to have so much control that there's more power to what you're studying. And it's, you don't get that much control in typically in food studies or nutrition studies or even exercise studies. So, so I said, what if we do extremes of exercise and muscle growth? And that led me to com- competitive male bodybuilders. That, that to me was the extremes of what the human body could do right regardless of whether it was it was uh, supplemented um with anabolic steroids even then it's extraordinary um what the body can do and how it can grow and i wanted to know how did that affect health well and that's so you know that's that especially was, true yeah. because that's probably equally applicable to men and women because the women bodybuilders you know, uh, proportionately are equally as strong and defined and strong. And, you know, the the, the muscles certainly um, are pronounced. So I guess it's muscle, not necessarily gender, right? When you start I, looking yes. at it from that perspective. Yes. So, so it, the sex differentiation is certainly there on capacity to, to build muscle, certainly naturally. And then when it is supplemented, it, it, it still is, is, rarely quite as profound, but the impact on health, yes, is similar. I started with with males and and then I ultimately did study competitive female uh, bodybuilders. And, and those were both the first time this research was done relative to nutrition. And I was interested in risk of cardiovascular disease in anabolic steroid users versus non-steroid users. We did, you know, have everyone bring in their garbage bags full of their medicines and supplements that they were taking, pharmaceuticals. At that time, it still was not illegal to be using anabolic steroids. And um, it it was a fascinating time. I think we really contributed to the knowledge that the athletes had of the risks that they were taking themselves. But what we learned, there was a, we couldn't measure uh, sort of the, why they may have been healthier, but we saw the, the influence that muscle building exercise had on what we otherwise would have thought of much worse cholesterol levels, far worse, you know, blood sugar control, far worse blood pressure. I mean, so many things that we would have anticipated to have been worse were not as bad. And, And relative to their diets in particular, 
300 grams of fat a day, you know, 150 grams of saturated fat. These guys were eating, had, it was a range from, from um, uh, lightweight to heavyweight, okay. all at least nationally or state ranked. We had an, an international lightweight champion. And as I said, 18 steroid users, 17 non-steroid users, it still stands as the largest study to date. Uh, and and we used only bodybuilders because up until then, the several studies that had were done looking at risk of anabolic steroid use in weightlifters, they lumped everybody together, whether you were an Olympic weightlifter, a powerlifter, or a bodybuilder. And as certainly we know today, there's nothing the same except they, they're lifting weights, not in their diets, not in their physique goals, not in their training. And so to put them all together doesn't make any sense. And yeah. so... So we separated into only bodybuilders and, and we did very elite bodybuilders so, so that they were, had been well-trained by the time they went into this study. And um, really the interesting piece was, well, if, they were, if, if we would suspect that their cholesterol levels and their risk of heart disease would be worse in the natural bodybuilders, those not using steroids, or they had cycled off for six months and returned to normal levels, then is there something protective about weightlifting? Because in those days, there was zero cardiovascular exercise right. um, amongst these lifters. And so, uh, but, but to note, when I applied to or submitted my research to the American College of Sports Medicine when I finished it in 1987 to present, the review, it was denied for me to present or to have an abstract published. And, and the reasonings were, uh, number one, weightlifting is not exercise. Bodybuilders are not athletes. And the whole study was too nutritional. Interesting. That obviously, so that was, that obviously has changed. Oh, right. <laughs> right. And, and we're going to segue into gamers specifically and health and yes. wellness, nutrition and gamers shortly. But so somewhere thereafter, you, you kind of jumped from just weightlifters into more of a general exercise research. Yes. Yeah, so so I did. So the mother load of my of my uh, research endeavors was on weightlifters and and muscle building exercise uh, but then in my practice i certainly segued to from really power and strength working in the nfl creating the first full-time program in the nfl nutrition program with bill belichick at the cleveland browns okay. by the way to working sort of i say i'm sports agnostic i work with any anyone who wants to achieve peak performance in mind and body. And so I think that's probably, <laughs> that's a good way and a good place to, to segue. Yeah. I mean, it's so, so from the gaming perspective, uh, you know, gaming has, is, you know, we, we talked briefly uh, prior, 
it's kind of been a backroom activity, right? I mean, it it is it's been the bane of many a household for <laughs> for many many years, including my own. Long before I got into gaming, you know, my children out, you know, think it's all timing. You know, where was I, you know, ten years ago when I was th- <laughs> throwing them out of say go you know go go shoot hoops. You're getting bed sores. Get you know go outside. And and now because of the growth of esports and gaming, you got parents saying, "Why are you outside? You should be inside gaming because." It is a career and, and a business and, and, and all the things that associated with it. So, but when you look at gamers and you look at their activity level, which is 125 plus or minus moves every minute, be it their hands, their eyes, massive extended gaming sessions in, in what is really a non-ergonomical chair with hardware that is not supportive of body mechanics, even though... That's what everybody uses, but now you start seeing all the resulting uh, carpal tunnel syndrome and head, neck, back pain, anxiety, sleep issues, focus, and, and what have you. So for gamers that are seeking peak performance, and that's true whether they are an esports competitive getting paid by a team or the people that just want to beat their best mm-hmm. friend at a game, where do they go? What do they do? So they're about, I'd say, 20, maybe a little longer than 20 years ago. It might be 30 years ago by now. The field of neuroscience got really interested in, you know, the, base, the basic biochemistry of learning, of memory, what influenced it. And, and you know, creative scientists when outside of just saying, well, what sort of drugs might make a difference, but what natural substances is the body using as building blocks to interact with these neurotransmitters that affect all, all kinds of nerve transmission and conduction, the way the cells talk to each other. Right. And it led them to food and food substances. And, you know, it kind of started out with the, with the food and mood research. Right. But it has far, it's gone far beyond that today. And so what things can we consume that are legal and safe that can enhance our mental performance in the same way that we think about physical performance? And what, what we have found in sports nutrition and sports science is that the brain plays an enormous role in physical performance, as well as pure mental performance, mood, cognitive function, coping with stress and anxiety, all of those things, and certainly hand-eye coordination, nerve right. conduction, right, those kinds of things. And so, so that's where the overlap comes in, I started looking at this about 20 plus years ago when I did have a client who was suffering from depression and what, who was a drug tested athlete. Was there any, what could we do? He was in the NBA. It also couldn't, he couldn't get any psychological counseling because then they could, the team couldn't trade him if it came out Mm. in the press. And so it was kind of like, well, okay, I'm now the nutritional psychologist. I have to figure out what can I feed this guy to help him feel better, literally feel better. And so, so that 
overlap is quite remarkable. And so looking at the the foods that we understand and, and where to go for that information today is looking at the influence of food and nutritional supplements on mental health and mental performance. So what kind of ingredients or what kind of food, if you look at, take an average gamer, not that there's any such thing as an average gamer, but we'll make one up, that's trying to increase their speed and accuracy, that's trying to stay focused, which is not an easy thing to do for anybody anymore because of the demands of the internet and all the, the, the devices that we have. But very specifically, when you look at gamers to increase that cognitive rec- recognition between their mind and their hands and their speed, because certainly in a first-person uh, shooter game, speed is is the utmost skill to improve. Right. You, you, you can look at it as one of two ways. What foods inhibit that or conversely what foods or supplements uh would help somebody be better at that or at least clear the pathways so that they 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 can be a better form of a gamer and then simultaneously just be healthier right and so so fundamentally you know starting with being well fed sort of all around does matter do you have the calories that you need for the energy that it takes, because it does take energy to do what you do, even though you're sitting there, there's a lot of brain work that's going on and a lot of of coordination physically. But you have so, to, you know, when you talk about calories, and I don't mean to inter- interrupt it, there's so many food replacement drinks, right, that are right. dense in calories. Now, uh, 99.9% of them that I've tasted are are not edible. They're not consumable, but they're they're easy from a delivery system to take a can and and and, and dump it. But I'm assuming that from a gamer perspective, that's not the best consumption of calories for performance. Right, and and so the second half of that is not just the macronutrients, which are typically what's pushed in those cans. But it's the flip side of what you said, what things will inhibit our being able to, to have speed. It, it Really, it's the speed of communication of one nerve cell to the next nerve cell. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And so, so what will inhibit that? Inflammation. And so inflammation will inhibit your brain and your nervous system's ability to, to talk. To, to not only within the nervous system, but then to your muscles. And, and so, so when you're eating uh, or consuming foods that promote inflammation, and typically these are certain types of fats. So, so fats in uh, highly processed, ultra-processed foods are often pro-inflammatory fats, meaning that they promote inflammation. The fats that are good for you, that that are anti-inflammatory, are fish oils. Number, first and foremost, fish oils, super important, super anti-inflammatory. And then all the nutrients around those that are also anti-inflammatory. And so vitamin D, a very important anti-inflammatory supplement, particularly for e-gamers who don't go outside, not exposed to the sun, right? And so uh, we know, we don't even have to test a gamer. We know that uh, indoor youth athletes have a large proportion have low vitamin D 
blood levels. Right. As opposed to football or baseball or. Right. Right. Outdoor athletes. And so, you know, runners, whatever. And so, so vitamin D critically important for multiple functions of the body, but as a, as a very potent anti-inflammatory. And so, so there's, then there's the fiber that comes in from the fruits and vegetables that you would eat rather than from the, the drink that you have. What does fiber do? What does your gut have to do with it? Well, so without fiber, your gut becomes inflamed. That passes into the rest of your body. Uh, inflammation in one part of your body does not stay there. Those uh, inflammatory biochemicals that start to float around in your whole body and you get what we call chronic systemic inflammation, which will ultimately affect mood, mental focus, uh, ability to, to, to rest, relax and sleep. All of those things, coping with stress and anxiety, all of those can be affected by the beginning of inflammation in the gut and so so controlling that is very very important and so that's where eating plant-rich foods are uh, critical to the whole system and so i'm assuming from what i've heard since i was a teenager is no sugar no salt right that those are highly inflammatory ingredients and it's in everything that we basically consume off the shelf and what have you so for a gamer that really wants to be competitive should be on a low sugar, low sodium diet? Well, so sugar for sure. So, uh, and the thing about sugar and salt in our in our food supply is those are typically sort of the, the lead ingredients in ultra processed foods that also have all kinds of other, as I said, the pro-inflammatory fats in them as well. And, and that's particularly important for the brain. And so, but sugar in and of itself in large amounts does promote inflammation. You're correct. Bacteria love sugar. And so as we get floral growth uh, in the body that is is unbalanced, we get inflammation. Salt is, is, is a little bit on the margins, right? So high salt, again, it's more of like the canary in the coal mine. It's telling us that if you're eating something that's really high in salt, it probably is an ultra processed food with a whole lot of other ingredients you don't want to be consuming. But salt associated with high blood pressure, which our youth today are struggling with because they're sedentary, because they're they're not weight balanced, because they're not physically active, they then salt can cause high blood pressure, just adding to the risk of the high stress of the game. Right. And so so salt may be something you want to control. Every single person does not respond to salt as as a risk right. factor. Some people for are really salt sensitive. Pressure. I know someone incredibly salt sensitive, which frankly, anecdotally, I did not believe until we went out for Chinese food and I literally watched her blow up in front of me and turning bright red and, and literally just blowing up from the water right. retention. So right. yeah, having seen that, it, it, it's quite remarkable, especially if you're <laughs> yeah. not that person, because uh, I'm not. But is that salt the same with a blend of electrolytes? Like the magnesium and the, the chlorides and potassium? I mean, because those are basically salts as well, right? But are no, they healthy salts? Yes. Yeah, so, so your electrolytes, which you do need, again, if you're not sweating, right. <laughs> you don't have much of a need to supplement with electrolytes as long as you're eating. And it particularly, 
again, not what the average gamer is doing, but a plant-rich diet is typically rich in electrolytes. And so, um, you know, using electrolyte replacement beverages also do impact cognitive function. And and there, it is important to be balanced, but you don't need an abundance. And so making sure that you are consuming, like I said, hopefully something that is plant rich, um, the focus on electrolytes is not the same as for a physical athlete. Right. Uh, I would well, say. actually, you know, you'll talk to a lot of gamers and they'll, 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 they will tell you they will sweat because the intensity, they're inside, it's warm. So mm-hmm. there, there's probably sweating. It's not the same as running a marathon or right. going out on a recreational two-hour hike. I am sure that they are excreting their electrolytes. And for the most part, most of the brands that we see uh, marketing to gamers are Cheetos and Mountain Dew and Red Bull. And, you know, you're, you're not seeing the kale producers of America marketing right. to... to uh, right. On the <laughs> other hand... If a beverage, because it has, you know, some sodium, some of the electrolytes and a flavor that tastes good, and that's what gets you to drink, right? So there's, there's well, what, it, what does it say in the laboratory? And then what does it say out in the real world? You, they need to be drinking. As you said, they're sweating, they're, 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 lose, they're breathing hard. I mean, there, there is a significant fluid loss. It may not be like running a marathon, but but in and of itself, there is fluid loss, making sure that you're replacing fluids because nothing will impact your performance mentally or physically like dehydration, right. number one. And so taste matters and and sodium will drive thirst. And and so if it's if, if you go, God, I'm thirsty, I'm gonna drink more, that's good. Right. Interesting. Interesting. What other things should gamers look out for? So one really big one is a a B vitamin that we don't hear about very often called choline. Okay. Uh, You know, we hear about vitamin B1, B2, B3, you know, all of those, riboflavin, niacin. We don't hear much about choline. And choline really got on the radar of nutrition scientists when there was this misunderstanding that everyone should be dumping their egg yolks down the drain because of risk of raising their blood cholesterol and heart dis- association with heart disease risk. And so what we learned is that, first of all, egg yolks in the American diet is the number one source of choline. Why is choline important? It is half of the most abundant neurotransmitter in the body, acetylcholine. Mm. Acetylcholine acts every time you think or move. So basically 24 seven, even while you're sleeping and dreaming and moving around, acetylcholine is active. And what we found was that somewhere around in the turn of the century, (laughs) around 2000 or so, we recognized that the American population was on the brink of being marginally choline deficient because we stopped eating egg yolks. And so two things that we have discovered. Number one, uh, typically egg yolks do not raise cholesterol levels. Cholesterol, dietary cholesterol, which is what is in an egg yolk, does not correlate 
with elevated blood cholesterol levels. We are concerned about the building blocks of saturated fats in the diet for blood cholesterol and far less about dietary cholesterol. So number one, in a healthy person, up to three egg yolks a day, and we've got multiple studies now that show this, one to three egg yolks a day in a healthy person does not raise blood cholesterol levels. So that's important. Great. But number two, without it and without supplementing in some way, we don't get in the choline we need and you don't feel good and you don't perform as well when you are margin, even marginally deficient with choline. So so it, it has shown up now in supplements. It is very common in supplements for e-gamers um, because it does impact your mental performance. Fantastic. I appreciate this conversation. I know gamers out there now know what they have to go to their uh, Whole Foods market or wherever they're going to buy it to to get these supplements so that they can shoot faster and stay awake and, and be energized. Thank you. There's so much more we can talk about. We'll do a second follow-up in a month or so. Cause there's, that would be great. I've got 50,000 other questions to ask you, but I'm going to let you go. And I appreciate your time and certainly the information. And thank you for everything that you do. My pleasure, Gary. Thanks right. a lot. Be well. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the MAP Esports Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to leave us a review and follow us on your favorite podcast player.